You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. We can keep on uh, in the language of this week's story casting out demons, the demons of, of white supremacy, of racism and patriarchy and misogyny and classism, of homophobia, biphobia and transphobia, including the current laws around the country that those who are possessed by transphobia are now trying to pass. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery and this is episode 411. Our title this week is Jesus as Political, and our reading is from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 13, 31-35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and helping people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for Surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the early Jesus community, this story would have been meaningful because it put Jesus Jesus's work in tension with Herod and the powers that be in Galilee. Jesus is neither part of the power structure, uh, nor is he part of, uh, uh, nor is he a domesticated insider uh, either. Here, he he's not a partisan within a the 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 system. He's a radical who whom the authorities are seeking to execute, much like John the Baptist, whom Herod had previously executed for for speaking truth to power, according to Joseph. Cephas, Jesus is characterized as being on a very similar path in relation to the, the power structures of his region. His teachings and his ministry here are framed as a threat to those in power, and specifically, Herod here is mentioned. And this explains why Jesus responds so boldly in this narrative with, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons. Now, this phrase it immediately triggers me and 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 it triggers my more scientific modern world view and i'm guessing it does for many of you too but i want us to step outside of the religious supernatural definition of demons uh, as beings that we we cannot see but but who terrorize our world just for a moment i'm stepping away from from the characterization of of, of d- demons that i grew up with in 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 the horror films and the shows of the 80s and the 90s, like The Omen or, or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, what I want us to do instead is consider an interpretation that defines demons in the gospel stories through a more political lens. And, and consider this explanation of Jesus' first exorcism in Mark 1. 
21 through 28. This is from Ched Myers in his book, Say to This Mountain. And again, this is in the context of defining casting out demons as somehow political. This is page 14 of uh, Say to This Mountain. To interpret this exorcism solely as the curing of an epileptic is to miss its profound political impact. In contrast to Hellenistic literature, in which miracle workers normally function to maintain the status quo, Gospel healings challenge the ordering of power because Jesus seeks the root causes of why people are marginalized. There is no case of healing and exorcism in Mark that does not raise a larger question of social oppression. In this story, Jesus' exorcism, it takes place in the heart of a, a Galilean synagogue there in Mark because what the, the story is juxtaposing is the political struggle between the scribal authority there and Jesus's authority as teaching something that is different. Also consider the story of the exorcism of the uh, Gerasene demoniac in the Synoptic Gospels. You find it in Mark 5, in Matthew 8, and in Luke 8. The name of that demon in that story is Legion. A Roman Legion was the Roman army's largest military unit and represented the occupying Gentile forces who were possessing the Jewish homeland. So, in this gospel story, the people's oppression by a foreign ruling power appears symbolically as a person possessed by a foreign or demonic spirit. Walter Wink goes so far as to ask us to make similar interpretive choices. In his book, uh, uh, The Powers That Be, this is Kindle Location 358, he writes, Some first century Jews and Christians perceived in the Roman Empire a demonic spirituality which they called Satan, the dragon of Revelation 12. But they encountered this spirit in the actual institutional forms of Roman life, legions, governors, crucifixions, payment of tribute, Roman sacred emblems and standards and so forth, the beast of Revelation 13, the spirit that they perceived existed right at the heart of the empire, but their worldview equipped them to discern that spirit only by intuiting it and then projecting it out in visionary form as a spiritual being residing in heaven and representing Rome in the heavenly council. In the ancient worldview, where the earthly and the heavenly reality were inextricably linked or united, these view, this view of the powers worked effectively. But for many modern Westerners, it is impossible to maintain that worldview. Instead, fundamentalists treat the powers as actual demonic beings in the air, largely divorced from their manifestations in the physical or political world, the theological worldview. And secularists deny that this spiritual dimension even exists, the materialistic worldview. The demons projected onto the screen of the cosmos really are demonic, and they play havoc with humanity, only they are not up there, but over there, in the social, spiritual, political structures that make up the one and only real world. So, within this context, any what he's basically saying is that any systemic evil or injustice that becomes 
almost automated within a family, a community, a religious structure, a civil structure, even a corporation or, or, or government or world power is in that worldview, in this literature, in these narratives, is a demon that must be exercised. Consider the demons that we have today, like the demon of white supremacy or the demon of greed or the demon of domination and subjugation that we see in the invasion and repression of, of Ukraine this year. When we read of Jesus being threatened by Herod, who is seeking to execute him, Jesus replies, go tell that fox, I'm going to keep on driving out demons. Jesus is showing the same political obstinance and determination against injustice and abuse of power, even in the face of lethal threat, that he'll show again later in the story when he flips the tables in the courtyard in Jerusalem. And anyone who sees Jesus the exorcist as simply passing out tickets to heaven rather than calling for concrete changes in the systems that that harmed the marginalized people around him isn't reading the gospel stories in their historical context. People don't have their lives threatened for passing out tickets to heaven. After all, focusing folks on heavenly assurance, that doesn't threaten the powerful, the propertied, and the privileged with change in the here and now. Yet Jesus is making change now. He's casting out demons. He's challenging harmful political structures in the hearts and lives of his listeners. He's calling them to imagine the world differently. And he, like John, is stirring up the people. And things that stir the people, they must always be stopped by those who benefit from the way things presently are. Eventually, uh, Jesus will reach Jerusalem, where his strongest demonstration or protest will take place in the very seat of the temple state. And this week's story, it intimates the result. Like the prophets of the poor who who called for justice before him, um, as like they were stoned and killed, Jesus' story is going to get much worse as we hope for things to get better. The, the, the authors, they lean into the Jewish tradition here of telling honest stories of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and and we today, we could learn a lot from that tradition if we approached our ugly histories and honestly uh, uh, told our stories uh, rather than, than the way we typically sanitize our histories. But, but nonetheless, um, bringing up the Hebrew prophets and who called for social justice, how, how they were treated, and paralleling that with what's coming uh, down the, the path that Jesus is on, um, this week's story, though, remember, it isn't about how someone died or was killed. It's a story that's anticipating how state violence would be reversed and undone. The story doesn't end with the cross. This is a story of how life and life-giving, how it triumphs in spite of death and death-dealing. And love triumphs in spite of injustice in the end. But we're not quite there yet in the Jesus story. We're still on that journey with him. And before we get to the end, we have to move through the demonstration and protest. We have to move through the pushback from those who are about to be threatened. And ultimately, we have to push through the state executing a, a man calling for changes that were too much for the powerful and elite to leave unanswered. And his voice, remember, it has to be silenced first. Yet in the end, death is not conquered with more death, even just one more death. Death in this story is conquered by love, by life, and justice, the salvific work that that those in power they sought to halt, it proved only to be a momentarily momentary interruption. 
that salvific, liberative work in Jesus' ministry, it would live on, and it lives on today in the choices that we make every day, even in the small things. This month's recommended reading from Renewed Heart Ministries is Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis's book, Fierce Love. And and I'll uh, end this week with a quote from that book. This is uh, from pages 167 to 168. Uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Lewis writes, Alice Walker wrote, Helped are those who find the courage to do at least one small thing each day to help the existence of another, plant, animal, river, or human being. They shall be joined by a multitude of the timid. A movement to build a more just society begins with little steps taken by good people every day. Humankind desperately needs a love revolution that leads to equality and equity, to the end of white supremacy once and for all. You have the power to be an agent of change in your everyday living. You can influence your posse to also be the change you seek. And ultimately, together in community, small steps can lead to morally courageous behavior that loves the world all the way to healing. So even if threatened with death, we too, this week, we can keep on, uh, in the language of this week's story, casting out demons, the demons of, of white supremacy, of racism and patriarchy and misogyny and classism, of homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia, including the current laws around the country that those who are possessed by transphobia are now trying to pass, and, and more. So here, this week, here's to, to, to more justice. This work. And here's to more courage, more resistance, persistence, and, and the small things that we can do to create change. Heart Group application this week. Share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, how does reframing the exorcism stories in the Gospels impact your own Jesus following today? Discuss that with your group, reframing them as, as political. And Number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.